0: A bit of a miracle because uh my internet went down a few days ago and it only came back like this morning so oh, this I is meant to even... be
1: this is meant to happen
0: yeah so how are you guys doing luke and nate good to yes to good me- to
2: meet you too we we joke all the time that uh whenever we're talking about the giants the computer and technology just shuts off or something happens you know it seems it seems normal <laughs> and uh, yeah, just to give you a background We've been talking about the Giants a lot So we can just keep going with that We've had several guests on to talk about the Giants So I think our, our listeners are primed and ready for that If that's Whatever,
0: whatever direction you want to take it, take it, take it <laughs>
1: Uh, Welcome back to Blurry Creatures, Luke Rogers alongside Nate Henry, and today we've got a very special guest all the way from South Africa, Michael Tillinger joins us, Michael is a scientist, explorer, and author of numerous books, he's a musician, and out-of-the-box thinker, which has led him to become an authority on the ancient vanished civilizations of Southern Africa, the mysterious origins of of humankind, resonance, somatics, and the power of sound. His research includes diverse field of subjects such as archaeology, mythology, human origins, religion, origins of money, spirituality, breakthrough science, and consciousness. Welcome to the show, Michael. So glad to have you. Um, and thank you for joining us uh, halfway from halfway across the world here.
0: Yeah, it's good to see you guys. Yeah. Nice to meet you, Luke and Nate. Uh, if you hear my dogs barking in the background, just ignore it. They'll eventually stop. I've got some kids that come to the gate every day, you know asking for food and so uh, unfortunately they, they're not gonna get food right now while I'm talking to you.
2: <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, we ask all our guests, uh, first question we ask is, do you have any thoughts on Bigfoot? What do you think about Bigfoot? And uh, what you, There's no wrong answer, just we ask everybody.
0: Are you sure? I don't want to give you guys the wrong answer because I don't want to fail this exam. <laughs>
2: You know, we uh, so far everyone's had a had a had a different opinion. So if you have a different opinion, that's gonna fit right into the show.
0: Look, what I can tell you is this: if anybody claims that they have an idea of what the history of the world was all about or what the past Earth looked like, they're they're living in an illusion. Because what I have discovered here in South Africa, and the continued new discoveries in the fossils, the giant, the remains, the technology, the ancient ruins, the ancient mines, the gold mining, the Cesar beam technology, the magnetron technology, the reptilian creature fossils, the Anunnaki potential fossils. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is that what this points to is that the history of the world and the history of our Earth, the history of civilization, the history of Everything that came before is so different from what we can imagine that we probably wouldn't recognize it if it was presented to us in some movie. It is very, very different. And quite frankly, today, I believe much closer or much more than our history is actually a lot closer to the mythology or the many different mythologies that we read from around the world. That is probably far closer to resembling the history of our world and the history of civilization and the people of the world and different parts of the world at different times than anything we read in the sterile version of our history books.
2: Do you? Uh, but do you think uh, Bigfoot's mostly like a North American thing? Have you have you looked into Bigfoot at all? Have you read about him? Yeah. No, no, there... it's
0: it's not just a North American thing. I've had uh, people that that have had encounters with Bigfoot, kind of. Creatures here in South Africa as well.
2: Yeah, they're usually they're they're called something different around the world. They all have a, a different name. I just didn't know if if that subject got your curiosity going. We say on this show it's kind of the gateway drug. That's how people get into realizing that everything they're being told isn't what is really going on. And so that's kind of how we started our show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now we're working. We're we're talking about giants, and I know that you say that you have ten million stone circle ruins, and you think they're all connected to these giants. And what one thing we're trying to figure out is how big are these? Yeah. Did these creatures get? And that's that's another thing on our show that a lot of th- people have been. Some people say, "Oh, they they never got bigger than ten foot." What do you think on how big these creatures? Those got? are the little
0: guys. The, those are the little guys. The, I don't even refer to those as the giants. No, no, we have. We have wow! Tons of giants in the mountains here, big bones, big, huge fossilized bones and knuckleheads and shafts and fingertips. I have some, some in the museum, the, the fossils that are big enough, small enough to bring into the museum. But then many of the large body parts are just strewn across the mountains here. And uh, so we do when we do our tours, our sacred sites tours to the ancient ruins, to the giant footprint, Um, you know, to the ancient mines and the stone circles, Adam's calendar, and so forth. Uh, We often stop at these sites where we have these piles of what look like rocks, but at closer inspection, you realize that these are actually fossilized, petrified remains of giants that are just piled up. And uh, there are some very clear indications that these are actually, you know, fossilized body parts of very large beings and not just rocks there are teeth marks and claw marks and and also some giant trees some trees pieces of trees that have that are lying in between and what i can say with absolute certainty is that the the sizes of these beings varied from 12 feet and 15 feet i'm going to talk in meters cuz i can't imagine feet i can imagine <laughs> meters but you can just, just divide it by three and that'll give you – multiply it by three and that'll give you feet. So we're talking about the, the giants that are like 10 meters or 30 feet. It's like the giant footprint that we go to. And, you know, some of your listeners might have seen me with the, the video of the giant footprint. That's a, a spectacular example of real giants in history.
2: Yeah. What, what, what did Book of Enoch say? 2000 L was the – 3000. Was, it, was Was that yeah. it? 3,
0: it was the... 3000 L is the Book yeah. of Enoch. The giants okay. were – For those that want to go and see it, I think it's around page 60 of the book of Enoch. um, And he talks there about the giants that that were on earth. If I'm not mistaken, he might even say that there were 144 of these giants on earth. Uh, It might say so in the book of Enoch. Or it was another creation story that I read of some other uh, people, another group of people around the world that had the creation story that referred to 144 giants that were about, you know, a mile high. 3,000 L's would be like one. Kilometers, which is just short of a mile, because wow. an L L is from your from your fingertips to your elbow, and that's about half a meter. So, you know, three thousand three thousand Ls would make it one and a half kilometers. Yeah,
2: our last guest came on, and he uh, he was an expert in all this, in the Book of Enoch and religious studies and and sacred ge- sacred geography, and we were debating about how big an L was. So. Uh, there you go. That's yeah. how big it is. So so yeah and I've seen some of these videos where you have these rocks of petrified organs and, and one of them you said you there was this heart that looked like it was the size of a small car. Um yeah. do you think that's one of these 144 giants? Uh a remains
0: of I, them? I think that, that that's that's too small. That that really? giant uh, that giant is about um, probably about 300 tons. Um it is actually propped up at the giant footprint. It's a marker stone. That the Anunnaki left. Now, when I talk about these things, okay, keep in mind that I will throw things out that will sound like crazy or wacky. This is not just me making it up, or I think we it love is. we
2: love that on our show. Yeah, we do. You can do it. <laughs>
0: but this comes from years and years of talking to psychics, to channelers, to shamans, and and people that can connect with the rocks by touching them. And if people don't understand how that is possible, then I'll have to take them into the into the lecture of, of physics and quantum mechanics and the, the laws of nature, how everything manifests out of sound and resonance uh, that create toroidal fields and magnetic fields and electromagnetic fields. I deal with all of these things in my lectures. So when I talk about these things, it's not because I think so or I imagine so. I've done you know a lifetime of studies in these things and I, and I approach it both from, from a highly scientific perspective Really, at the mainstream leading edge of science and understanding of physics and laws of nature and nature of reality and toroidal fields and everything is interconnected in this weird fractal nature of reality, and and our capacity to understand what sound resonance and frequency is and how that is the primordial source of everything, and once we understand that, then we can start to truly appreciate how some of these psychics or people, you know. Um, people that, that claim they can you know, talk to the dead or talk to the people from the past or from the future, you start to realize how that is possible and you'd be able to explain that actually with mainstream hardcore physics and science, which is really mainstream, this is old knowledge and the ancient philosophers knew all this stuff. That's why they had this broad spectrum of knowledge, these so-called Greek philosophers that seem to be so wise. Because they didn't just have compartmentalized knowledge of geography or history or mathematics. They, They knew how everything interconnected, which is not what our education system does today. And I've gone a little bit off the track here, but just to come back to the... When we talk about these hearts and these body parts, and I start talking about the Anunnaki put it up there, is because one of the shamans, or 10 of the shamans, or 100 psychics over a period of 12 years or 13 years that I've been researching it hands-on now, repeatedly and consistently give us the same information. Now, once that happens, you can apply a simple, the probability that all these people can get the same answers and the same information is, is impossible or virtually impossible. So, it has to be true or very close to the truth. Well, we've
2: heard that on our show. We brought on a uh, expert Fritz. His, he wrote a book about all the hinges in North America, so he spent 15 years driving to all the mounds and the circle stones here in America. And he said every time he went to these mounds, he had weird supernatural experiences where, yeah. you know crazy things would happen to him. Uh, he He had more of a <laughs> he didn't have he, he said it was more spooky and and, and creepy than it was um enlightening. I guess you could say, and so the ones you have over here, the ones in South Africa, they sound like the origin, like these were the the biggest ones were, and then they kind of moved throughout the world because the reports we have around the world and other places, they're much smaller in the 15, 10 foot range.
0: I I don't think so. I I think it's just that people haven't recognized these giants.
2: So they were all over, you think?
0: They were everywhere. They were the guardians of the earth, uh, the guardians of the world, and these different sizes of giants. So the giants that we have here, the, the sizes that, that I have physical evidence of, not that I think they were, they were here, the giants that we have body parts, fossilized bones, hearts, ribs, fingertips, teeth, jaw bones, and other pieces, other parts that I can't recall now. Uh, so many of them are in my museum, so people come and see them and then they freak out because they can't actually believe that they're looking at them and they can yeah. touch them. Um, so they range from like I said, like 12 feet to 15 feet and that was probably the, the, the most common size of the Anunnaki and some of the, the henchmen that they created and cloned to be the sort of henchmen to do the, the overlord overseeing the slaves and the, the gold mining activity and the, the stone circle construction at the same time. Then you have the bigger ones that are like 10 meters, the 30 foot tall ones that left behind the, the giant footprint. Yeah. They were also involved in the gold mining as, as henchmen and doing things and carrying and picking up things that were too heavy for the smaller slaves to do.
1: Michael, t- talk a little bit. I know you've referenced it a couple of times, but for our listeners that aren't familiar, talk a little bit about the Anunnaki and, and how that, what they were and how that plays into the things you're talking about with the giants and, and everything in South Africa. Right.
0: Yeah. Okay, so, so th- that's a very, very important context to put into place here. Thanks for reminding me of that. So the, the Southern Africa is just filled with these millions of stone circle structures. The, the what we call the stone circle ruins of South Africa. There are around 10 million of them, probably more. They're all circular shape. They cover the mountains. They all connected to each other in large clusters with these channels. They look like you know, like little pathways that connect them together. Um, but they're actually like like two wires. If you think of wires, they're literally like wires that connect the circles together. The stone circles have no doors and entrances. They are not uh, dwellings for people or animals, they were built as a machine. So the entire Southern Africa is covered and we talk about a large area. Uh, Basically, it would be probably about half the size of the USA, maybe even larger. Wow. Covered in these stone circles and all connected to each other in these clusters and then those clusters again are inside what I refer to as like this giant spider's web which are really agricultural terraces but when you look at them from the aerial perspective they look like this this network like a spider's web that goes out of each stone circle and then it connects to the next stone circle and they cover mountains uh, and, uh, and these were built by the Anunnaki Uh, we have overwhelming evidence that the Anunnaki built them. So the Anunnaki are the the number one sort of uh, discussed beings in the Sumerian clay tablets. It's almost impossible to read Sumerian clay tablet translations without the mention or referencing the Anunnaki gods Uh, and what the Anunnaki gods were, how they came to earth, how they came looking for gold. And then they found the gold in large quantities and they mined the earth all over the earth, not just in South Africa, they mined the gold everywhere in the Americas as well. You'd be surprised. There's huge evidence of Anunnaki gold mining in the Americas.
2: And are the Anunnaki giants, or are they? Yeah,
0: they, they were. They weren't giants. They were just probably like twice the size, maybe three times the size of humans. Yeah, up to fifteen feet tall. That was that's from from my understanding right now, and from some of the the. Uh, also the research of, of um, and the translations of Anton Parks, which I would highly recommend to any of your listeners to go and research and find out and uh, read Anton Parks. His books are not easy to find, maybe most, but they are available in English as well and not easy to find. But he is unquestionably the number one translator and scholar who understands the Sumerian language and translations better than anybody else alive today. So when we talk about
1: the, uh, the Anunnaki, is this akin to what we find in the Book of Enoch with the Watchers and these yeah. fallen an, these angelic beings that came, yeah. you know, came down to interact with humans and the population here? And then you know, in the biblical narrative, there's the you know the sons of God, the the giants, are become the sons of, of these Watchers. Yeah, you know, the
0: Anunnaki, the Anunnaki cloned humanity, so you know we we have their DNA in 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 us, and this is why much of our DNA was switched off because they were far more advanced mentally and technically. And so they had to switch a lot of the DNA off. This is why when they first discovered the decoded the DNA strand, they said, well, most of it is junk DNA. We don't use most of it. Well, that's just a, you know, that flies in the face of sort of evolutionary principle. You know, why would something evolve if it wasn't actually, if it didn't have a purpose? That's just Counterintuitive. So what what we realize is that the, the Anunnaki use their DNA and then they use pieces of other creatures' DNA and they splice it in. It was a genetic engineering hack job. That's really what it was. Yeah, no, And and so so the Anunnaki, you yeah, know, created this species called Adamu. And the meaning of Adamu doesn't mean you know human, beautiful being. It means the creature, the beast, the animal. Those are the three words that are associated with Adamu because So the early humans that were cloned, literally cloned as slaves, creatures, the beast that was cloned for one purpose only, to be the slaves in the gold mines and for whatever else was needed by the Anunnaki.
2: I've heard theories that that's what Bigfoot was, that they (laughs) they, they made.
0: It's quite possible.
2: Yeah. It's,
0: It's quite possible. The problem with Bigfoot I have is that they're just so mysterious, you know, the they they seem to appear and disappear. So at this stage, I think many people like myself believe that they're multidimensional beings that they sort of phase in and out, out of our reality. That that seems to be the most common uh, experience that people share. And in fact, yeah. this his experience with this Bigfoot character was exactly the same.
2: Yeah, we heard that a lot. And I've heard... I kind of got I kind of got into this whole space listening to podcasts about Bigfoot. And the weirder the stories yeah. got, the more I was asking questions. And then people started talking about the giants. And it's like, wait a I got... You know I grew up in the church I learned a lot of this stuff but no one ever talked about the giants and why do you think that is how come modern Christianity and the Bible and the giants I mean, it's all over the place why aren't we talking about it
0: Yeah exactly So the Bible is full of giants you know the the uh, I talk about it in my lectures the, but the, it's, it was taken out of the, the the books that weren't included in the in the modern version of the Bible that was put together by Emperor Constantine in 325 you know they decided at the Council of Nicaea which of these Ancient books—they were gonna the 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 gospels that they were gonna put together to to make up the Bible, and they chose whatever didn't suit their narrative wasn't included, and the book of is one of them, um, and one of the many that weren't included. So, um, what we have in South Africa is the greatest example of Anunnaki presence on Earth, Anunnaki construction, Anunnaki technology that included Caesar and magnetron technology, Anunnaki mines, ancient gold mines, and some of the technology that was used to extract the gold in some of these ancient mines. And again, I'm saying this because I know it, I've seen it, I've either seen it or I've been there, I've touched it, it's not that I've heard about it. So these are real discoveries that i'm sharing what, with
1: what is that what is that technology mag, can you explain some of that the mag, magneto is that what you said like the magneto technology magnetron sorry I was, that's an x-men reference my bad <laughs>
0: <laughs> magneto, well like it really it's it's pretty much the same it, it it is all the same once you understand once we understand the critical importance of sound resonance and frequency i, I use those together because they're actually the same thing so when you say sound some people go oh but sound doesn't you know sound so i use sound resonance and frequency because it it it, it elicits the same effect and and it's the same same tool that we use in this density and this reality of ours
2: i've uh, i've heard on many shows that people talk about how that's how they made these megaliths they tapped into the sound frequency of these blocks and they were able to levitate them, move them into place. Do you think that's
0: how they built those things? Well, um, that's definitely, but you need to know how to use the sound. Sure. So, So what I've discovered here was the technology that was used just to the magnetron and the cone shaped tools together were the torus stones or the toroidal field stones that generate toroidal field energy from the zero point. And that's critical. So anybody that watches this who understands toroidal fields and the so-called zero point, or as Nassim Haramein calls it, the vacuum. Uh, at the center of that zero point in the middle where the toroidal fields meet, uh, that's where the, the infinite density of, of the field is. And, uh, and that's when you start realizing when paper was written sometimes in 2008 or 2009 by Nassim Haramein that he shows that the, the, the density of the zero point inside the center of the toroidal field the density of that zero point is infinite that is the final straw that should be taught at every school at every level in every physics and science and mathematical class so people understand the importance of sound resonance and frequency and the importance of creation Because it's out of that infinite density of that zero point that we find all other lesser densities of frequencies around us that manifest into physical form out of that primordial resonance so when you read in the bible Uh, In the beginning, there was was nothing and the Spirit of God moved over the waters. First, we got to ask, okay, well, where did the water come from? But let's leave that for later. Uh, And then God said, let there be light. It actually tells you the sequence of creation, the sequence of manifesting physical form out of sound and resonance, including the fact that light is a consequence of sound really important and many people don't get this most people talk about especially spiritual people it's all about the light the light the light you can't have light unless there's the primordial source code of sound and resonance which creates the magnetic fields which creates the electromagnetic fields which is light so the one creates the other almost instantaneously but but you can't have light without resonance and frequency resonance and frequency resonance and
1: Does this play into like the the vibration stuff? Because we've been talking about quantum physics on on one of our episodes, and how lower vibrations and higher vibrations you can cross over these. Between these the eleven different uh, dimensions that there's able you're at certain frequencies almost oh, sounds like a vibration there's matter changes and you're able to you move between this dimension and the next dimension and and so on and so forth it starts to make my brain hurt a little bit but
0: well, the, and that's what that's what we have here we have in my museum the tools that were left behind by the Anunnaki that work with these primordial the understanding of these simple primordial principles of using sound and resonance and frequency. So the cone shaped tools that were used to actually create Saser beams, not laser beams, Saser beams, infinitely more powerful than SESR be- laser beams. The sound basically when sound is propelled from uh, from a tip of a, of a cone like this, it goes into a state called hypersound at which point it moves faster than the speed of light. In fact, it moves infinitely fast. That's why when people when you know when people say light is the fastest thing, it's just they're just talking absolute nonsense. It just it just shows it, they show their ignorance about the nature of science and the reality reality around us. Uh, light is just the consequence and frequency and the magnetic uh, electromagnetic fields. So so once we understand sound and the cone shaped tools, we understand how they create Cesar beam technology and what a Cesar beam does creates very powerful magnetic fields around them, and if you can manipulate that that. That, that, those Caesar beams, uh, you can manipulate magnetic fields, and you can trap things between those magnetic fields, and then they're devoid of gravity, and you can move them anywhere you want. Wow! Uh, so that is how you use the cone-shaped tools in ancient times.
2: So, are these stone circles? Are they some sort of acoustical time, moving things around the world through these stone circles? Is that what you? Is that is that kind of what? You're yeah, building?
0: it's quite possible. Uh, I haven't really gone there yet but i'll tell you what what they do they they each stone circle generates a huge amount of energy each stone circle is a energy generating machine and the way this is just why it's so brilliant this is what when we when i discovered this in 2010 everything changed and i realized that the anunnaki were masters of technology and they really knew how to use the fundamental elements of creation and manipulation of matter around us and and you know that also goes to the obsession with gold, which obviously wasn 't about the yellow gold, it was about the monoatomic gold they just mined it in, in the form of yellow gold because it 's a stable form of it, but that 's what they wanted they wanted they broke down the stable gold the the a u uh, two into AU1, the mono-atomic gold, and then they use that for their own needs. That's a whole nother discussion because that takes us down a different rabbit hole. But the, the fact that they had, were masters of this technology and they left behind these stone circles, that still generate energy today. You don't have to do anything to them. They just do it automatically hmm. by being placed, the stones are placed on the shape of this, called the cymatic pattern, which is the shape of the sound that comes out of the earth at that specific point, right? When you put sand on a metal plate and you put a sound frequency through that metal plate, many of your listeners will be familiar with this. It creates a beautiful shape of sound frequency. And that sound frequency is known as a cymatic pattern that represents that sound frequency. So they knew how to identify the the shape of the sound coming out of the earth at a specific point. Then they would put the rocks on exactly on that cymatic pattern. And the rocks are very high, have very high acoustic properties. They ring like bells. You may have seen some of my videos. Yeah,
2: yeah, I've seen those.
0: They used very specific stone that has these high acoustic properties in all the stone circles and the channels that connect them. And these stone circles then just become the amplification device for these subtle frequencies that come out of the earth. These frequencies must be very low frequencies, like probably the Schumann Residence, 7.8, maybe eight around there. Some of the stone circles are smaller, some of them are larger. These stone circles then amplify those sound frequencies coming out of the earth, and create sound frequencies, magnetic fields, and because the magnetic fields move inside the walls of the stone circle, it then creates an electromagnetic field and that's what we've measured we've measured the sound frequencies the magnetic fields and the electromagnetic fields at all these stone circles
1: are these portals then is that what they're trying to do are these magnetic fields within the sound resonance is it a way to to bring dimensions closer together or, or to create a what would be a wormhole or a portal between between these things or? I,
0: I, don't think this, I don't think the stone circles are used for that. Personally, I don't believe they create enough energy. For that, you'd need a lot more energy. And that, that uh, machine is what Adam's calendar is. So Adam's calendar is the flagship among all the, the ruins that we, we've discovered to date so far. There might be more. But Adam's calendar is literally this incredible toroidal field energy generating device that generates insane amounts of energy, even today. Oh.
1: It's real old, right? It's very—it's real old.
0: Yeah, it—it's it, uh, I current uh, dating on it is around three hundred thousand years, J- maybe just a little bit less or a little bit more.
2: So those listening, you have these these stones that are long. They look like um, big, big, big blades of stones, and you can kind of hit them like wind chimes, right? And they have yeah. specific keys. They play, and it, it would almost take a musician to kind of discover this. How much of, do you think your your knowledge in music helped you? Because it sounds like we've been down the trail of science, talking about light and technology, but we've totally missed acoustics and audio.
0: It's, it's, it's everything. Sound is everything. So I guess because I have a background in music and I've always been a musician, still am, just don't play much anymore. I'm doing all this other weird stuff. <laughs> so it's really when I heard when I heard those <laughs> when I heard those those stones, those weird elongated stones, when I first heard them ring it immediately rang a bell in my mind, subconscious saying, okay, this is much, this is not just a tool or an artifact. This is a lot more than just that. But wait, it gets a lot more weird because you know, all those stones that you see me ring on the videos, those elongated stones, those turn out to be the fossilized body parts and the bones and the leg bones and the ribs of different creatures. Wow. Yeah, can you talk right.
2: about that cuz you know you're walking by these things for years, right? You're seeing them on the ground yeah. and you call them mud fossils where at one point they, you know, they were buried by and then they just kind of look like rocks and stones and you're like, yeah. "Oh my gosh, that's a shoulder blade that looks like the size of a car door." Right? Yeah. And you realize can you can you talk about that like when you discovered that these weren't just rocks?
0: Yeah, so that discovery came in January 2018. So at that stage, I'd been walking over these, on top of these stones and among them for 11 years and just you couldn't figure out why these stones were these weird shapes. Eventually, because you see them so often and all the time, your cognitive dissonance just tells you, well, they're just weird looking stones. That's it. And then one day, suddenly something just shifts. It's like, literally like, you know, you're ready. You know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Mm-hmm. I think it is one of those moments. Hmm. So something just, into place and you go and I went click and uh, it was the ribs there was that beautiful rib that I've I've got several videos out about that on my channel especially Uh, and and I saw this long beautiful long elongated rib it's very like a foot and a half long and this beautiful thin stone and once again I picked up the stone I went why would the stone be this weird thin elongated slightly bent shape and and narrow tip on the one side and slightly wider on the other side yeah and literally 20 minutes coming back down the mountain, I saw that same rib and I went, uh, that same stone, and I went, "That's not a stone, that's a rib."
2: Yeah, I've seen these videos, and it looks like someone just took a bunch of uh, organs and dumped them out on the ground, and they all just turned into rocks. Um, <laughs> and you, you start looking at these, like, "Oh, that looks like a bone. That looks like he's got the you has got the edge where it connects to the cartilage." And you go into detail about that. Um, what what happened to these creatures? I mean, this sounds like they're they're everywhere. They're all over the place. How did they organs just get strewn about and how do they die off you think yeah
0: that's a really good question and a very important question because the, this discovery literally rattles the entire timeline of our history it just just completely obliterates whatever timeline we thought we had in our mind how things happened and when they happened and so forth because most of the the walls the stones in the walls of the stone circles that i have explored and there, there are hundreds of them virtually all of them are made up of fossilized body parts wow. hmm. of creatures, and the, the very good reason for that is because these fossilized body parts are the stones that ring like bells. Mm. Wow! So they're the high acoustic property. So it wasn't by accident that Anunnaki used those fossilized body parts on purpose when they were building the stone circles. Well, Fritz, one of our guests said he
2: in the my, the the mounds in America. They would line, they would cremate the bodies of the the dead giants, their ancestors, and they would build these mounds with them. And they were like, they would talk to the dead through these mounds. Mm. So they were, they would stack up generations of dead giants and bury them in these in these mounds. So do you find that they're building these megaliths with these bones? They they these bones ring. There's some sort of weird supernatural connections to the remains of the giants.
0: Uh, yes. Probably yes. (laughs) There's just so much about this that we don't know. And we, we, you know, even some of that, we don't even ask the questions, like the question that you just, I think I've only really sort of contemplated that question maybe three times or four times because there's so much else to work on so much else to contemplate. The, the answer that I got from a channeling was that when these slaves, when these, human slaves and this is why we see no or very few remains of these what would have been millions of people that would have lived here to operate these machines and build these machines what happened to them when they died what happened to them is that they they put them into some of these magnetron like stunts machines which which can literally be turned into like a microwave because magnetron technology is what's used in microwaves magnetrons, a little magnetron like this that you find in every microwave. And, uh, and you can go online, go on YouTube, and you'll see people take out the magnetrons out of old, old microwaves and building their own ray guns and just blowing stuff up from far away. You know, that's how powerful these things are. That's crazy. So we have weapons of mass destruction in every kitchen. We don't need to <laughs> invade. Is that, is that why the governments and some
2: of these other big entities are keeping this knowledge from us? Because we can, we can unlock this energy and then
0: the whole world would just yeah. blow up? Basically, once, once we understand the nature of reality and how simple it is to harness this energy and how to focus this energy through these simple cone-shaped tools, uh, I'm not saying it's easy, but once we've figured out how to do it, then everybody will know how to do it. And the industrial military complex has obviously figured this out already because they're using this technology. Uh, if you're not aware of this, then this is very well documented. I don't have to go into details. People can go and do their own research. Yeah. Uh, one, one critical example is that uh, Henrik Halter is, a, is a, I think he's a Norwegian or a Swedish scientist, that, that invented the most powerful antenna ever. And you'd expect this to be this fancy contraption. And you, lo- and you look at him holding his antenna. It's just a, a metal plate with like a rectangular metal plate with about 64 metal cones cone shaped spikes on it, and it's the most powerful antenna ever built and it can both send and receive information that's um, so that's just an example of how the industrial military complex and 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 those people at that level are using this technology the toroidal field technology the cone shaped technology to focus that energy, and once you've got that, you can pretty much do anything you can blow things up, you can <laughs> cut mountains you can decimate things, you can boil water, you can do anything you want.
2: Like when you get up in the morning, what motivates you? Why, why are you so obsessed with this? Because I, I, I feel the same. I, when I got into the knowledge of the giants, I just, I just couldn't get enough. What about all this so fascinating and pushing you forward every day?
0: Well, it was the study of ancient civilizations and the origins of humankind that made me discover the origins of money in 2004. And that's when I suddenly realized when the penny dropped for me is that money is an artificially created tool of enslavement that was introduced as a wholly evolved philosophy or a wholly evolved tool some 6,000 years ago, maybe even further back in time. And again, most people don't know this because we follow mainstream education and mainstream education is funded by the, 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 the Rothschild banking empire and all their family banking friends who fund all the schools and universities and research labs that support all these universities from genetics to history to archaeology. All of these departments are funded by the same people that control the global banking empire. And then you start to realize that there's a whole agenda going on. And so it was, it was really the exploration of the origins of humankind that led me to that discovery of money and realizing, oh my God, so money has been used as the tool to keep humanity enslaved and as humanity rises in consciousness and they just tweak the tool a little bit and then they keep tweaking it as the millennia go by. And here we are, they tweaking it again uh, to keep us enslaved and keep us uh, and, you know, ignorant. Um, so what, what that led to then is that not only do we have a different perspective on human origins, how our history of the world is so completely different from anything that's presented in these sterile versions of our history books, we don't have to be slaves. That we are, we are enslaved by these few families that run the world. Uh, call them whatever you want: Illuminati, the global elite, or whatever. Uh, and they pretty much run the world as their little playground. And they don't want people to wake up. They don't want the slaves to realize that they are slaves.
2: Well, a lot of people say their bloodlines go back to some of these beings that we're talking about. That they they can trace uh, absolutely. Them back. <laughs> and, and, and yes, uh, absolutely. And our last guest talked about how the ancient giants enslaved people that they were kind of parasites on the culture. Do you think that freedom, uh, humans breaking free from all these things is a big part of the motivation for you? Like t- t- humanity's not really set free because of maybe the ancient giants kept kept us as slaves and now we have the Rothschilds and the One World Order keeping us as slaves. Is that a big, big motivation for you?
0: Well, that's why I started the Ubuntu movement. And this is why the, the whole one small town will change the world strategy is just going crazy around the world. I can't keep up with... emails. I can't keep up with the management of of the Ubuntu office. So I have two lives that come from the same source, and that is studying the origins of humankind, which led to discovering a whole hidden history that very few people are aware of. I know. Or even space, and the Anunnaki and the cloning of humankind. And the Anunnaki are just one of many dozens of creatures and beings from some very benevolent ones and very conscious and close to the sort of creative source and spirit of God and the creation and, and the unifying source of, of everything from those kind of beings to very malicious, bloodthirsty reptilian beings that are just disgusting. Uh, and, and the world is full of these beings, often at the same time, often fighting each other. And, and then the giants come into it. The giants were part of this. Somehow the giants are connected to the more beautiful childlike, naive, utopian story of Earth being a paradise, the early, very, very giants. They were like just large children playing in a sand pit. And one of the creation stories um, says that when the world was first created, it was just one giant sand pit with, with sand and these 144 giants and water everywhere. And these giants were left to play in the sand and the water. And they pushed the sand together and they created the rivers and the lakes and so forth. And then after a short while, the giants died, they fell over and became part of the landscape, which I find fascinating because there's more and more interesting evidence that suggests that some of these very large mountains may be these one mile high giants that have just fallen over and then obviously the giant trees as well so now we got these giant trees in ancient times yeah, hand in hand with very large trees, very large individuals and then Gulliver's travels is, suddenly becomes real yeah
1: you know? right and this is something we <laughs> talked about with, with Dr. Judd Burton was the the megafauna uh, qu- question though we were talking a ton about technology and, and these things and, and so what how did this knowledge get lost over time was it the series of cataclysms uh, with with the flood epic was it you know cuz you used to have these babylonian mystery schools and there was this line lineage of this knowledge being passed down and then and when we talked to like Brian Forrester about how things were constructed pre and then post it's like technology got worse instead of better as you would assume with a with a linear or upward trajectory in knowledge of technology so if the giants and these the Anunnaki were doing these things back, you know, in the ancient, ancient times, why have we lost all that all that knowledge? Or have we?
0: Um, I think the knowledge was lost by design. It's not an accident. It's on purpose. It's these royal bloodlines that run the world. You know, the, the Sumerian texts tell us that the the in the in the Sumerian kings list they tell us, you know, that at the, the moment and the time that the royal bloodlines appear on earth, when the when when kingdom was lowered to earth from heaven. And the gods appointed the first priest kings from among humanity to rule over humanity. And they were given fierce weapons with which to smite and control humanity if they didn't listen. So it's very clearly spelled out for us. And, um, And then the first thing these priest kings did is they built their temples to be safe. They were impenetrable. And from those temples, they started to issue the first forms of money in the form of little clay tablets, and it was just, then you realize, okay, wow, this control goes back thousands of years hmm, hmm. in its very primitive, original form. And uh, and then when these royal bloodlines eventually get to the, the Templars that control the money in the, you know, you know whatever, 1070 or whatever it was, then they start to control the money and they become so wealthy and powerful. And then the Vatican is involved with all the gold and so forth. So they obviously want to control the world and control the people, control the minds and the hearts and the souls of people. Yeah. So the last thing they want is to let the people be wise and be, be smart and know what's going on. Otherwise, they're not going to listen to these guys that set themselves up as so-called leaders and dictators. or benevol- they, they come across as benevolent leaders and benevolent dictators, but in the meantime, it's all malicious intent to keep humanity enslaved. <laughs> uh, and disinformation and turning people into, you know, a, with amnesia, we have no idea who we are, where we come from and why we're here, it really, I truly believe that, that that real onslaught on creating a species with amnesia started in the late 1400s when when the invasion of the free world started from Spain and Portugal and and they sent out their ships to conquer the world. You know, the Spaniards went west, the Portuguese went to Africa and, and East and they literally conquered the world. They brought their Bibles, they brought their Roman Catholic faith, they destroyed everything, they tortured people, they killed people, they destroyed all their books, all their writings, whatever they had. They replaced it with the Catholic faith and priests and missionaries and, and they literally decimated that ancient knowledge that was held down for thousands of years, oral tradition. And the way you, you create a species with amnesia that has got no idea who they are and where they come from is by separating people from their ancestors. So the moment you prevent people from passing down oral tradition, from passing down any kind of pictorial uh, or any material that allow people to remember and, and repeat the stories of their past, like shamanic knowledge and tradition. This is why that is so important. Yeah. You've lived within a space of a hundred years, you can create a species with amnesia because by then, you know, three generations of, or four generations of people are dead and gone, and you don't know anything. You have no yeah. idea.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a battle for history. We have yeah. we have it's controlled, it's manipulated, and a lot of people. were getting emails all the time, like, man, I man, I always thought something was off, and this show's kind of opening my mind to this. And it's funny because I mean, you're walking by these giant bones forever, and so many people are walking by these these sort of clues to the past. And it's almost like there's this field of dreams and you can't see the baseball players on the field. And then one day you just wake up and you see them. Right. And you, you're seeing these bones on the field and its connections to the to the past. And one, one thing that struck me on our last episode is our, our our guest said that the watchers were even terrified of the giants looking looking on them and going in the book of Enoch, like, oh, my gosh, what did we create? How dark was the ancient world? And what do you think about the biblical flood wiping all those out, that they were so evil that there, there needed to be some extermination?
0: Okay, so let's first go to the Watchers and the Giants. So from our research, it is more clear now that the Giants, and we, I'm now talking about the 40, 50-meter Giants, maybe up to 70 meters, so whether that's like 200 feet, anything from sort of 100, 150 to 200-feet Giants. Those were good benevolent giants. They were they were like the gentle giants, right? They were not man-eating giants. That is part of the disinformation and the lies that was injected into history and oral tradition as well. So people would be scared of the giants when the giants are actually the protectors and the custodians of the earth. And each one of these giants had a huge area that they would protect. And again, I'm saying this because this is the information that we got from shamanic downloads and shamanic communication from shamans and psychics and channelers that have connected with some of these remains in the bones of the giants. And, and, and it's the same information, different people getting exactly the same information. Yeah. And these giants were protecting the earth against the, the malicious and malevolent, bloodthirsty reptilians, possibly Anunnaki, but mostly, not necessarily Anunnaki, but the other reptilians that were here, like the Kingu races, and and some of the other—escape me now—and uh, and like even the Kingu races, the word "king" most likely comes from those, because those are very bloodthirsty reptilian, sacrificing people, eating human flesh, uh, uh, completely abusing people, torturing people, and that seems to have been handed down in the royal bloodlines. This this sadistical kind of traits. Huh. And, and these, these Kingu races were pretty much on a, at, at war with the giants. And they had these flying machines uh, with laser beams or sazer beams, and they would hunt the giants, literally, and decimate the giants. Because like UFOs? if found them, if the giants found one of their flying craft anyway, they would sneak up behind them and, and like whack them out of the sky, like and stamp them and, and kill them. So, there was this, this war between the giants and these malicious creatures that were abusing humanity and abusing the earth.
2: So, like UFO, modern day UFOs kind of thing.
0: Exactly. What, what, I, what I want to tell you is that, and the reason why we see these clusters of remains of giants is because that's often where these beings and their little craft, well, they were big craft, but small for the giants. Uh, would hunt down a giant and kill them. And then where the giant would fall, uh, they would then cut them up and process them and take what they wanted, meat-wise or whatever, and then leave the rest of the giant lying there. And then other creatures would come and other animals would come and start eating that giant. And this is why we find pieces of these giants with claw marks and teeth marks and scratch marks on different body parts of these giants.
2: What about all the chimerical creatures? That have you discovered any evidence for all the other, you know, half-human, half-horse? All these. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, have you discovered any of those that that oh, that yes. narrative is true?
0: Uh, oh, absolutely. There's there's uh, this is not just a narrative. This is very very clear. Again, shamanic uh, channelings and downloads, uh, especially at a place called Tsodilo Hills in Botswana. It's northern Botswana. It's just south of the. The Okavango strip um, south of Angola. So you got Botswana, you got the, the Okavango Delta River that runs north into Angola. It's just spectacular. It's so beautiful. And uh, that's where you get the Tsadilo the hills, which is known by the ancients as the mountains of the gods. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. <laughs> so keep going back to oral tradition. It's in the names. Often, it's just as simple as that. It's in the names. This was the mountain of the gods. This is where the gods lived. So when we, I've been there several times, that's where you got the giant serpent cave. Uh, You have, uh, and this whole mountain of the gods was surrounded by an ocean. It used to be a lake and an ocean in ancient times. And this is where some of the Anunnaki went to hide. And in fact, the story of Dr. The Island of Dr. Moreau, I believe is originally based on this place. Hmm of this genetic cloning, mixing of genetic strands, creating new creatures, half this, half that, half lion, half man. you know And that's where, that's where a lot of these remains of these creatures was found in ancient times by the Bushmen. Huh. And the Bushmen that lived on that mountain after it was evacuated by the Anunnaki and their, their experiments, uh, that obviously was not welcomed by the, the Anunnaki leadership or Enki. And so they, once they figured out that was going on in secrecy, they shut it down. But then the Bushmen people stayed there and made that their home, you know, a few hundred thousand years ago already or a hundred thousand years ago. And they were actually instructed by the gods to keep these fires burning, these shamanic spiritual fires burning and bur- to burn all the, the leftovers of these creatures. So it burned the essence and everything. And those fires were apparently kept going for thousands of years. Fires wow. to burn all the remains of all those creatures. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> do you do you believe in that in the biblical flood story that that was part of what wiped a lot of the stuff out? Is that does that enter into the conversation?
0: Yeah, absolutely. The biblical flood story is. Uh, keep in mind, there's not just one biblical one. Flood yeah, been several floods, I'm sure you're aware of that. But there was definitely one big one. Uh, when when we look at the the fossil around. And the the many millions of Stone Circle ruins, we see evidence of the flood. So South Africa is, you know, that's another thing that you have here when you come visit us. And and so we have we have the evidence of the flood, mountains of mud, basically mud coming across the mountains, tops of mountains. And that's where they covered the the various body parts of the giants and other creatures and other smaller creatures, not just giants, you know, whether they were humanoid or Reptilian or uh, the hippopotamus or crocodiles and so forth. We have, and other creatures that no longer exist, extinct creatures, dinosaurs. We have cut up body parts like legs of lamb that you would see and and legs of beef hanging in a butcher shop. Uh, Those are in my museum. And those are what we find now sticking out of what was once the mud. And there's also evidence of them being cut. They had knife marks and, and, and claw marks and teeth marks and... So this is all very obvious that somebody was eating some other creatures and was cutting them up and preparing them for consumption. All of this was collectively covered by mud. And then thousands of years of rain and washes the mud away. And then the lightning comes and every lightning strikes creates more mud fossils because that's what happens. The mud holds it in stasis. And then the lightning is what turns it into, into stone. And we've got loads of lightning here. It never stops. So... The mountains around us are literally covered in fossilized body parts. Wherever you go,
2: yeah, there's this popular meme going around that like there's this hammer, this ancient hammer, and it's like basically encrusted in stone. And someone's like, "Oh look, a two million year old hammer discovered." you know? and, uh, and that, it,
0: that can be a week old. Yeah, quite frankly, I know.
2: But yeah, the the, the the our understanding of fossilization is 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 pretty antiquated. We we need to update that. Um, so yeah. my question is, I guess one of my last questions is, is if these UFOs are flying around killing giants and the Anunnaki are coming down and we're getting this language. Why has it all stopped? Why is all that activity? I mean, I know that there's a lot of UFO activity that's still being reported, but why on, on a whole does it seem like things have quieted down? Like the waters have just, they were raging back in the day. You had waves of all kinds of creatures and, and entities and gods. And now it seems like the waters are calm, very different than it used to be,
0: so to speak. Uh, the the thing is that we have so many people in the world today that, that's the next question that needs to be asked. Why are there so many people on earth? Is this a, is this just a breeding ground for more food? Are people just being bred here? We, we think this earth is our home, but we're actually just being bred for food because that was certainly what was going on in the past. And I mentioned the Kingu races already. And, and from Anton Parks' translations, it's very clear that the Kingu races were doing exactly that, breeding humans the way we breed cows and sheep for food. And, you know, 10 million people and children go missing every year, maybe more. That's not by accident that something happens to them. So are we still being eaten? The answer to that is most likely. Uh, Why don't we know where these people are, the Anunnaki, even if there are a thousand of them, even if there are a thousand Anunnaki still left on earth, because there were never that many of them, really. There were only like a few hundred of them. So even if there are a few hundred Anunnaki left on earth, they might be living in the most inhospitable places that we can't get to. And we will never know where they are because they don't want us mm. to know. That's how simple the answer is, right? <laughs> mm. People always, buff- how come we know? We, if they were around, we would know about it. Really? You don't even know what's going on between, you know, in, in the election campaign and and bloody Burisma and the, the, the bullshit going on with Hunter Biden and the whole... Crime families in the USA, and that should be known to everybody. And we think we would know about what, what the Anunnaki don't want us to know? No, of course not. It's like the sheep trying to figure out TV, which TV channels the farmer watches at night. If the farmer doesn't know what TV channels he watches, the sheep will never know. It's that simple. The amount of gold that we are mining today is more than at any time in modern human history. And that is not for technology, it is not for healthcare, it is not for jewelry. Most of the gold that gets mined simply vanishes. Okay. We don't know what happens to that gold. So it might still be the case that while we allowed these so-called illusionary freedoms, we're actually just being given the certain freedom to live in controlled societies. While we keep mining the gold and mining the other minerals, which I don't want to go into it and how important they are to the Anunnaki as well, but keep mining more gold now than in the last, you know, 500 years. So it's quite possible that they're still using us to mine the gold for their own purposes and their own needs. And that opens up a whole nother discussion. What did they <laughs> what are they using the gold for still today?
2: Yeah, I don't laugh because it's funny. I just laugh because it's like mind blowing that we might, we might still be enslaved to some of these these entities that are still wreaking havoc on the world. So where can people find you? Um, and what are some, some books that you recommend that people hop into? And um, yeah, just whatever you wanted to uh, plug right now, you can throw that out there so people can find it.
0: Well, thanks very much, guys. It was nice chatting. Thanks for having you, yeah. I hope we gave your listeners some food for thought. We're just scratching the surface here. Each one of these subjects goes into its own little rabbit hole. Yeah. Wormhole with with infinite possibilities. So just go to michaeltillinger.com, my website. And I highly recommend for those that can afford a few dollars a month, sign up to my video channel because it has hundreds of hours of video footage, aerial footage, drone footage, interviews, lectures, and I keep adding to it every week. It's ongoing research, ongoing discovery, ongoing exploration, and it's really very exciting to be part of this ongoing discovery process. So that's on the ancient civilizations, the technology side. And then also on the, on the Ubuntu One Small Town, the whole creating a new, a new social structure for humanity without any violence, opposition, or conflict. And uh, the One Small Town strategy being the real answer for all the problems we face as humanity. And that's just go to one onesmalltown.org and learn about it, watch the videos, get excited because we are very, very close to launching that as a global strategy to get away from this complete control and bring through technology, through unity, through cooperation and collaboration in small towns and communities, We basically take back our world and take back our lives without the need for any violence, opposition or conflict. Hmm. It can happen in the blink of an eye. And we're very, very close for, before this explodes around the world.
2: It is getting pretty hot out there. So uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show, Michael, and, and telling your story and uh, giving us a little more glimpse into the antediluvian world and the ancient times and what roamed the plains and, and some of the interactions we've had with these creatures. Um, it's awesome. I mean, I I want to come see some yeah. of these uh, footlong finger bones and other things you've yeah, got. Nate and
1: I want we want to come out there. I want to see uh, Adam's calendar and, and take a look at what you got in the museum.
0: Yeah, no, please do. It's it's very simple. I mean, the the flights are open to South Africa again, so you know we we bring we starting to bring international tourists back in and. Uh, one of the greatest countries in the world.
1: Are the, the Springboks yeah. playing again?
0: Are they back? Are they back on? Uh, well, we're supposed to play in the championships the, between that's you know South Africa, um, New Zealand, Australia, and Argentina, the four big rugby-playing right. countries in the Southern Hemisphere. But um, there's talk that South Africa and the Springboks want to pull out of the the, the rugby champs, which just blows yeah. my mind. I don't understand why. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> I love it rugby politics oh yeah, yeah absolutely i
1: lived in australia for a while so tri-nations all that stuff i i got yeah exactly fully indoctrinated in the in the game
0: it's a great day look i love rugby it's 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 for me you know if you talk about sport and team sport i'm a complete rugby fan and a fanatic it's 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 the only thing that i watch on tv is yeah, rugby I love it. it's like football,
1: american <laughs> football for me appreciate appreciate the time we'd love to bring it back because I, th- I know this is an abbreviated version but i think the intro To what you're doing then we'd love to rabbit hole again at some point if you've got some time for us you know in the coming months yeah
0: let's see how it goes guys all the best all
1: right yeah thank you michael thanks
0: michael